You're going to hear an awful lot about Glasgow, Scotland. You're going to hear a lot about COP26 in the next little while. So what do we need to know about this? What do we need to know about what is happening as we get a lot of world leaders together? Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is there. You name it. They're all saying stuff. Is this going to make any kind of a a major difference? Well, let's try and find out. We're lucky enough to have with us Dr. Chris Gore, professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson University. Dr. Gore, thank you so much for taking some time out for us. How are things? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, it's an exciting time if you're studying climate change, um, but I also know it's a skeptical time for those who may wonder why this matters. Yeah, well, we're going to dig into that. When you say exciting time, does that come with a side of optimism at all? Uh, for me, it does, definitely. I think we, we often we know the urgency of addressing climate change, but we often forget how much effort has gone into to try to address this issue of climate change and the, and the idea that we have, you know, over 190 countries coming together, trying to work together to solve a global problem, uh, an urgent global problem. It, we can't underestimate how difficult this is. Uh, and every time that the urgency increases or every year as the urgency increases, uh, so does the pressure on, on taking action. And so um, I do remain optimistic because the commitments keep coming. Uh, and even though we, we do know and do see that the problems aren't going away and that we feel impacts of climate regularly. Um, I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that how difficult this is to deal with uh, and how important the pressure is from local citizens uh, to try to get governments to act. Dr. Gore, we get hearing all kinds of things, G7, G20. Now we've got COP26. This doesn't seem to be one that we've heard a lot about in the past, not in the same vein as maybe a G7 or a G20 Mm -hmm. summit. Could you give us maybe a brief explanation of what this even is going on in Glasgow right now? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of acronyms that get thrown around. Um, So COP is the Conference of the Parties. Uh, 26 is how many times they've come together to meet. Um, And this is since 1992, when the first United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change was signed. Um, And so they don't meet every year, but they try to meet almost every year. Uh, Now, why this one is important, COP26, uh, first is that the parties are national governments. um, And they come together every year to try to improve action and agree to different steps to address climate change. Um, why this one's particularly important is because the last major event, or the one that people reference a lot, is COP21, which is uh, what took place in Paris in 2016. Um, this was the first time that uh, leaders agreed to do two things. First is commit to try to reduce emissions so that global warming wouldn't exceed uh, one and a half degrees above, uh, above the present. So they all agreed to this. So that's, that was important. And the second is that they agreed to increase the emission reductions uh, every every year and to set targets and report back on how they accomplish that every five years. So COP26 is five years after the first time that they made this fairly profound and important declaration or public declaration to try to cap and reduce emissions and therefore to reduce uh, the risk of 
warming, uh, which is inevitably going to exceed 1.5 degrees, uh, but that was the cap that was set. So that, that's why this one's particularly important. But I'll just also add that even though we tend to emphasize this as, a national, as national governments coming together, um, there's a whole host of other activities and events that take place at these. Um, so civil society organizations, um, different groups come together, unions come together, massive numbers of private corporations come, all who are deeply interested and engaged in trying to figure out how to, um, how to solve and address climate change. Dr. Chris Gore with us, professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson University as we talk about COP26, which is happening in Glasgow, Scotland. You mentioned the 1.5 degrees, and we have seen the numbers which show that the planet is warming, and we have certainly heard the warnings that we don't want it to rise even as much as 1.5 degrees. Now you get the catchy little phrase, the drive for 1.5 what is 1.5 in the grand scheme of things? Why are they talking about that number? Uh, well, it's, uh, there's something called the IPCC. Here's another acronym. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is a body that in, examines the science of climate. Uh, and this is a, hundreds of scientists, experts who try to evaluate what kind of action is the impacts of climate change. Uh, And so their determination is that uh, if you can stop the planet on average from increasing temperature by 1.5 degrees, then you can start to limit, and here's the catchphrase, catastrophic climate change uh, with all the negative repercussions that that brings. Um, So this is a scientific assessment that if you can limit the global average warming to 1.5 degrees, then you'll have a much better uh, chance of trying to reduce this catastrophic climate impacts. Um, Right now, of course, we're well beyond that. We're well beyond two degrees. Uh, And so that's why these targets of emissions um, is, it's a scientific assessment to say that countries need to get emissions below a certain number. And if they do that, then we'll be able to hold the temperature increase below 1.5 degrees and then limit the negative impacts of climatic change. Where do things get really bad? What kind of a rise in temperature? Oh, well, I mean, I would say now. Uh, every, if we think about the heat waves that we have, if we think about the increased storms, the intensity of rainfall, the flooding, I mean, climate change is here. Uh, so the question is whether or not uh, this is the kind of world that we're willing to live in. Uh, do we like uh, the erraticness of it? Um, everything from whether or not you're, for those who golf, maybe you enjoy the fact that it's warmer and you can golf longer. But for the tourism industry, skiing industry, uh, for obviously most importantly, people who live in low-lying areas, people who are low-income and are extremely vulnerable to pollution, uh, to heat stress, uh, the impacts are are diverse, dynamic, and unpredictable. And that's the real challenge here. Um, It would be nice if we could say, oh, it's only going to impact one particular part of the country in this way, and then we can try to adapt to that. Uh, but the change is dramatic and it's happening globally. And so Canada, we see this uh, obviously in the north in particular, uh, but also my own work is in sub-Saharan Africa. And you can see uh, the ravages of climate change on a regular basis, uh, both in middle and low income areas. Well, um, so so it doesn't uh, it doesn't discriminate in terms of the impact. Let's touch on that for just a moment, because you also specialize in finding a way for developed countries to develop and not take away 
cheap energy and we've already seen gas prices rise a lot and we know we're paying more at the pumps because of things like carbon taxes but you mentioned east africa you lived in east africa you worked in east africa for 20 years and you mentioned you can see what climate change has done what sorts of things would you point to to say that's the result of climate change Oh, uh, just the lack of certainty around rainfall patterns is one. So many people are small-scale agricultural producers, uh, and it's not unlike agricultural uh, producers in in Canada. Uh, You're highly dependent on rainfall patterns, on weather patterns, and one bad season can disrupt uh, disrupt your livelihood and disrupt your income. Uh, So if you're a small-scale farmer um, and you don't get rains and you don't have other means of getting um, water, then clearly it's going to have a dramatic and devastating impact. Um, and so agriculture is one large area. Large area. Um, another one is certainly around flooding, um, regular flooding, uh, and that's due to old infrastructure, poor infrastructure. Um, and then the third, I think that you pointed this issue around the issue of access to energy. Um, in some parts of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, countries have less less than 10% of the population has access to electricity. Um, And they don't have the means of generating electricity cheaply. Uh, And so one of the go-tos is coal. Um, It's an easy, cheap source. And so one of the things why this conference is so important is because countries are trying to make commitments uh, to both reduce emissions, but also make sure that other countries, which are poor, can continue to develop, uh, but not in a way that is harmful to the rest of the planet. And that's an extraordinarily divisive issue. Um, it's because coal is such a cheap source, but it's also one of the most impactful, negatively impactful on climate change. Right. Dr. Chris Gore joining us, professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson. One last question, Dr. Gore, and that is for developed countries. We like to think, hey, we can we can find a way to access cheap energy and and we should have cheaper gas prices and cheaper fuel prices how about for developed countries what do you foresee based on energy costs and the challenge of still doing something so that we're making the impact we need to so that we don't get to a planet where you can't live in some cities and we have geographic refugees or or environmental Mm -hmm. refugees yeah uh Look, I mean, the the price at the pump is extraordinarily, uh, seems extraordinarily high, uh, but relative to other parts of the world, it's actually not that high. That doesn't help uh, if you're driving on a regular basis and you depend on that and you have a vehicle that consumes a lot of gasoline. Uh, but the reality is that if climate change is going to be addressed, that that price is going to stay high and it will probably and will continue to go up. Um, but we have to be really careful because part of the reason that price of gas right now isn't tied to carbon tax. The carbon tax hasn't changed over the last year. Uh, what's changed is the price of gasoline on the international market. So one of the things that we confront is how to uh, save, make savings in other parts of our lives other than uh, while the other parts of gasoline and such continue to go up. And so some of the ways that we do that is by improving home energy efficiency, by demanding better transit and transportation, by investing in infrastructure for electric vehicles so that people feel comfortable investing in new electric vehicles and there's incentives to invest in electric and hybrid vehicles. So it's a, it's a collective action uh, problem, at the, at the, obviously, at the, the Canadian level, um, but also at the local scale. Uh, and that is that we can't underestimate the importance of what we do in our own communities. Um, we know that local action 
isn't going to change what happens on a planetary scale. But we do know that the momentum of local demands on improving uh, access to better quality infrastructure, about planting trees, about uh, making sure that the, the community is healthier and safer um, for, uh, for air quality and air pollution reduction, these all matter in the longer term because they put pressure on government and they produce incentives to continue to increase the quality of action and the quality of policies and regulations that we put forward to try to reduce climate change. Dr. Gore, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for spelling it out for us as you have. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Chris Gore, professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson.